Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You, Pharaoh, this is what you've done, but this is what I'm going to do. You've rejected, so this is what I'm going to do. But even in wrath, God remembers mercy. Because you called us as your own, you brought us to your phone. Even when he says, I'm taking the gloves off, I'm not holding anything back, he still remembers mercy. And he tells me, he says, listen, if you get your cattle and you give shelter to it, I'll spare it. But if you defy me and leave it out in the field, they'll be destroyed. Even still, God is merciful. Even with the gloves off, he's merciful. See, God chose to show mercy to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh rejected it. So God confirmed what he wanted. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God has been trying to reason with Pharaoh of Egypt. Moses and Aaron have been asking for the freedom of the children of Israel, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. In chapter 8 of Exodus, we look through the first four wonders, otherwise known as plagues, that God sent unto Egypt. We saw that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God, and God just confirmed Pharaoh's decision. God wants all men to come to repentance, but due to man's own stubborn heart, God will let them walk into the punishment of their own choosing. We continue to see God's, we continue to see God's mighty and miraculous hand in Exodus chapter 9. We pick up with Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Verse 13, we now move to the... Seventh sign, hail mingled with fire. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning. If you're going to send a plague on a nation, you want to get up early in the morning to get a good start. Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Same tune, same thing. And yet verse 14, God adds something else. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon your heart and upon your servants and upon your people that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. You know what God is saying at this point? He goes, prior to this, Pharaoh, I've held back. I've attacked your land. I've attacked your property. I've brought irritating and painful things into your lives, but I've left you guys alive. It's not because I had to, and it's not because I couldn't. See, God is so mercifully patient, but he must bring justice if we continually reject his mercy. And so God tells him, the gloves are coming off now, Pharaoh. Now, if I'm Pharaoh by this point, I'm thinking, the gloves are coming off? I give up. I've always said, you know, when I see God put the WWE outfit on, I just get in the pin position. It's not worth the fight. When the spandex comes out, just get on the mat. He says, at this time, I'm going to bring all my plagues. And this word is different. This means, the word plagues means that which causes casualties, whether through war or through 
some type of supernatural event. And he tells Pharaoh, he says, these plagues, these death blows will be upon your heart. They will be a mortal blow, a death blow. There will be no surviving this if you disobey. God in verse 15 reasons with Pharaoh. He says, for now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite you and your people with pestilence and you shall be cut off from the earth. And in this very, in very deed for this cause have I raised you up for to show in you my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And as yet you exalt yourself against my people that you will not let them go. He says, listen, I'm done holding back. I am going to throw everything I've got at you from this point forward to try to get you to change. I could have done that before this. That's what verse 15 says. For now I will stretch out my hand. Some translators see this actually as a conditional clause. They say it means if I had chosen to deal with you this way from the start, you'd be dead already. Because that's what it means here. For now, if I were to stretch, if I would have stretched forth my hands to smite you and your people with, with this pestilence, these death, these casualty causing plagues, you would have been cut off from the earth. You'd already be gone. But see, this is God reasoning with Pharaoh here. He says, don't you see what you're about to bring on yourself and your people by resisting me? I could have done it already, but I didn't create you for that. I created you for something greater, to yield to my plan and let my people go. Verse 16. And in very deed for this cause have I raised you up not to do this. The phrase there in very deed means on the other hand. I could have wiped you out before this moment, but on the other hand, that's not what I want to do. The reason I haven't wiped you out is because that's not my plan for you. On the other hand, what is God's plan? He says, for this cause have I raised you up. I established you securely in your position to show in you my power and that my name would be declared throughout all the earth. And he says, as yet, which means do you, and yet do you still exalt yourself against my people to not let them go? He says, Pharaoh, I had an awesome plan for your life. I established your throne, making you a ruler who wasn't subservient to the other political factions in your land. But I did it so that you would have the absolute freedom to let my people go when I said the word, to show you how powerful I was and to get glory for my name among Egypt and the other heathen nations. You, Pharaoh, were to be one of my greatest witnesses, but you have resisted that plan. And for that, I could have wiped you out the moment you got in my way, but I haven't. I've shown you mercy. That's what the text says here. Given the context of this conversation, I am absolutely amazed that anyone would gather from this passage that God created Pharaoh that raised him up simply so he could destroy him and that somehow God is happy about that, that somehow that gives God glory. God already has said he has no delight in the death of the wicked and that is clearly confirmed by the tone of this conversation. I could have wiped you out, but that's not what I wanted for you. I raised you up for a different purpose, Pharaoh. You might be saying, oh, wait a second, Will. What about Romans 9, 15 through 17? Romans 9, 15 says, For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. The whole thing is about God showing mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, here's the quote, Even for this same purpose have I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is judgment in those verses? Do you see any mention of judgment? There's none. Every mention here is about God showing mercy. The full mention of everything in these three verses is God saying, I will to show mercy. And I will to show mercy. It's not of him that wills or runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture said unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose. What same purpose? To show mercy. Not judgment, not destruction. 
Anyone that gets anything out of that is, is you are taking a doctrine and you are reading it into the text. You are not letting the text speak for itself. The Old Testament should always give insight when the New Testament is quoted. We don't simply rip an Old Testament quotation out of its context. Paul's listeners were not only just very Jewish, but they would have studied mostly the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't complete. So Paul's listeners at Rome would have been very familiar with the Old Testament story. And they would have not have ripped this verse out all by itself and understood it separately from its context. They would have understood it from the context of Exodus chapter 9. Second, the discussion in these verses, as I said earlier, is about God choosing to show mercy, not judgment. You say, but wait a second, Will, you need, you need to read one more verse, verse 18. Therefore he has mercy on whom he have mercy, and whom he wills he hardens. You're right. But what does hardening, fo- hardening follow after? Mercy. <laughs> mercy when it's rejected. Hardening occurs after mercy has been shown and rejected, just like we've seen throughout the entire story of Exodus with Pharaoh. Maybe you're here tonight and you look at your life and you think that God doesn't care about you. That he simply made you because it gives him pleasure to make someone miserable by all the problems he allows into their life. Listen, don't believe that lie. There are those who would tell you that God doesn't pick everybody, that he doesn't love everybody, that he, maybe he didn't even pick you. Let me tell you something. He picked you. He picked you. He loves you. And he declared it when he cried from the cross, it is finished. For God so loved who? I love that word. The whole world. Because it's both personal and it's exhaustive. Because it includes me. God so loved Will. I can say that. God so loved Will that he gave Will his only begotten son. That if Will would believe in him, Will would not perish, but Will would have everlasting life. But I can also say it for every single one of you and any other person I ever run into. And I can say, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. That if you would believe in him, You'd not perish, but you'd have everlasting life. That's awesome love. That's awesome news. Don't believe that lie. God loved Pharaoh, and he loves you too, and he has a plan for your life. My only question for you tonight is, are you yielding to it? Well, again, we go back to Exodus chapter 9. We don't get Pharaoh's response when God asks him, are you still going to exalt yourself against my people to not let them go? But even a no, no response is a no. So whether Pharaoh replied or didn't reply, whatever it was, he didn't let Israel go free, and thus the next judgment comes. Verse 18. God says, Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Therefore, send now and gather your cattle and all that you have in the field, For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. Interesting here. Verse 18, behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause it to rain. The word there, I, is in the emphatic position in the Hebrew. It's in opposition to the opposition of you, Pharaoh. You, Pharaoh, this is what you've done, but this is what I'm going to do. You've rejected, so this is what I'm going to do. But even in wrath, God remembers mercy. Even when he says, I'm taking the gloves off, I'm not holding anything back, he still remembers mercy. And he tells me, he says, listen, if you get your cattle and you give shelter to it, I'll spare it. But if you defy me and leave it out in the field, they'll be destroyed. Even still, God is merciful. Even with the gloves off, he's merciful. Can you understand this? If all of Egypt obeyed God, not a single life, man or animal, would have been harmed. Right? 
If everybody listened, brought all the, you know, the livestock home, would any of them have been harmed? Not a single person. How is God at fault for any loss of life here? He's not at fault at all. Verse 20. Now he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. Interesting. Isn't that an interesting twist? The word there, feared, means to reverence or worship. Prior to this point, no one in Egypt knew about Jehovah. That's what Pharaoh said. Who's Jehovah? Well, not so now. And some were starting to worship him. Others at least came to respect him. And yet not everyone. Verse 21. And he that did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. The word there, regard, means to align one's heart with. A lot of the times being humble and and being receptive to the Lord is just doing that. Aligning my heart with his word. Like his word says this, and we go, okay, Lord, my heart's been over here, so I'm going to align my heart with what you say. That's all the Lord's asking for. You know, that's what it means to fear God, to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. He says, I love this. And you go, okay, I'm going to align my heart with that. I don't like this. Okay, I'm not going to align my heart with that. Well, verse 22, here it comes. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where Israel was, there was no hail. So this fascinates me. In Egypt, they, don't, they get maybe in, in the most rainiest places, they get about a half an inch a year, maybe two inches at most. In the upper part of the Nile, it doesn't, I mean, in the lower part of the Nile, it doesn't rain at all. Because, of, of Egypt, doesn't rain at all because the Nile is the life-giving water source there. It just doesn't rain. If it hails, it's really weird in Egypt. And even then, it's just teeny tiny little hail. So for this, this hail to come and fall upon Egypt would have been absolutely terrifying. He stretches his hand towards heaven, and it says, the Lord sent thunder. Literally, it means the Lord voiced his voice. I don't know what that means. All I know is I know what thunder sounds like and God voicing his voice sounds like it's probably worse. And then hail came and when the hail landed, fire ran along the ground. Now for centuries, scholars said this was a euphemism for lightning. The problem is that the Bible describes this type of hail, God's special recipe of hail, in great detail in other places. Job 38, verses 22 and 23, if you're a note taker, you can write those down. Job 38, 22 and 23, it says this. He, Job is being questioned by God. And he says, Have you entered into the treasuries of the snow? Or have you seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? God says he has a special treasure house where he keeps his special hail. I don't want to be anywhere near God's special hail. Okay? He's got special battle hail, unlike anything seen by mankind in the earth. Lightning is frightening, but Egypt would have seen that before. This no. <laughs> Turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 references God's special hail as well. Psalm 18, verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. Same phrase again. He voiced his voice. 
hailstones and coals of fire. And the idea is that the hail, the coals of fire were mingled together. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He shot out lightnings. That's different now. A different, it's an also. He sent out arrows and scattered them and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. So we see two different types of things here. Something very different from lightning and then something that sounds like lightning, like God shooting, pardon me, arrows down. Now, when we go back to Exodus 9, it mentions that the hail and fire was mingled with the hail, very severe. So the word there, mingled, means the hail of the fire was held in the center. So when Psalm 1813 says coals of fire, it means exactly that, not lightning. You have a, a huge hailstone, and in the center, it's got this fireball. And, and you know, and, and then this thing, this fireball, when it hit the ground, it would crack open, sending f- the fiery core exploding across the ground like shrapnel. That's nothing I want to be anywhere near. God will use it for Joshua when they're taking the promised land, and it says he'll use it again in the first trumpet judgment of the tribulation. That judgment will burn up one-third of the trees on the earth. That is not simply a bad lightning storm. Interestingly enough, the Egyptian god of the sky was named Nut. Maybe like your crazy uncle. One of the most ancient gods in all the pantheon. Her title was She Who Protects. Her picture was often carved on the inside of of a sarcophagus uh, because she was the one who would guide the dead to their afterlife among the stars. Well, she doesn't do a very good job of protecting anyone with the death raining from her domain of this hail and fire mingled with uh, hail and fire mingled with fire. You know, can you imagine what it was like for the Egyptians to see this falling on their land from a place that always brought fertility and wealth? If Nut can protect them from Jehovah, then would death be the end of them? Would she be able to help them after they die? They must have been terrified, not just physically, but spiritually. Pharaoh was for sure, because we see him react in a way he never has before. Look at verse 27, back in Exodus 9. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron. How would you like to be those messengers? I hope they were good at Egyptian dodgeball. Hey, go get me Moses. You talking to me? I would, out there? Can we pick up the phone? Do we have a pigeon? (laughs) Something else. He sent and he called for Moses and Aaron. And when they get there, he says unto them, I have sinned. What does it say? Oh, really? What about all the other times, Pharaoh? I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings. I don't want to hear the sounds of God anymore. The word there, mighty thunderings, means noises of God. I don't want to hear any more noises of God. End hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. I'll do whatever you want. Now, the word there, sin, means to admit guilt or wrongdoing. And it would at first appear he's turned a corner. But I don't think he has. Number one, Pharaoh says, well, I've sinned this time. He hasn't admitted he did anything wrong prior to this. But secondly, the phrase there, for it is enough, you might have another translation that says, for it is excessive. Oh, Pharaoh, you think God's being too harsh, huh? See, you say he's not the wrongdoer, but you don't really believe that. You think God has overstepped his bounds. And like I said, his pride is shown in the statement this time. What about the previous times? See, he's still resisting even in a confession, and Moses knew it. Verse 29, and Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that you may know how the the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, 
I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. And then Moses gives a little bit of commentary here on just how bad the destruction was, just how stubborn Pharaoh's being. He says, And the flax and the barley, they were smitten, for, they were not, uh, for, uh, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was bold. The, uh, these things were, were destroyed because these crops, they weren't fully ripe yet, but they were ripe enough that they'd blossomed. And so all of that crop was lost. On the other hand, he says, that, but the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not yet blossomed. So wheat and rye usually blossomed a month after the flax and barley did in Egypt, so they were spared. You know, Moses is trying to reason with us and show us, look how foolish Pharaoh is to continue holding out. And so Moses went out of the city. Hmm. Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and he spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. Does it seem like there's any rushing going on there? Like Pharaoh's, you know, Moses is dodging hailstones, and he's running out to the outskirts of the city, and, you know, fix a God, and then he runs back inside. None of that. It's very casual. It just explains it as if it happened. Moses leaves that palace and this is the point, like if, if Exodus were like a good movie, that'd be the point where you'd see him like with his staff and he'd make like the shotgun sound. And he'd, you know, you'd have a shot of just his sandals walking and everything just going around him and he's not afraid at all. And he just walks right out into the city. Doesn't touch him at all. No fear. Can you imagine Moses as he walks through the city and then he stops in the middle of the hail falling all around him? Can you imagine the effect this had on every Egyptian hold up in their home as he passed by? See, God was making it very clear to the Egyptian people, I am not like your pantheon. I am the one and only God over all creation. And yet everyone's not awed, verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. He sinned yet more. He added to his sins. How? By hardening his heart even more. So much so that some of his fellow leaders, they join in hardening their hearts as well. And what's the result? God confirms his choice. God hardens his heart in return. He confirms, remember those two different words, he confirms the choice. Just like Romans 9.18 said, See, God chose to show mercy to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh rejected it. So God confirmed what he wanted. You know, if you read all of Romans chapter 9, that's the theme. God has a plan. They are not all Israel who are called Israel. God has a plan, but man doesn't always yield to it. And as a result, God has to bring judgment. So even though God has promised life and mercy and peace and goodness and joy and heaven and all that, mankind still rejects it and doesn't yield. What about us? You know, are we yielded to the Lord? Whatever he wants, just to trust him, just to rest in him, knowing that he loves us and his plan is best? Let's all stand. Would you join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward? Lord, we sing that song, Here I Am, Surrendering All. And Lord, we want to be a people who are yielded to you. We don't want to be stubborn like Pharaoh was. We're so grateful that you've washed away our sins and you've rescued us, Lord, but Fighting you, we can still do that at times. We can still fight against you and, and try and strive for our own way. And as a result, Lord, we end up <laughs> facing the ground. And Lord, we don't want to despise your chastening. We want to be your children who appreciate your chastening, who have humble hearts and respond to your correction. 
So Lord, we give ourselves to you tonight to receive your correction. Lord, if there's something that you want to change in our lives right now, Lord, we choose to change. We choose to give it to you. We surrender ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God is a God of mercy. He takes no joy in the death of the wicked. He gives all men opportunity after opportunity to humble themselves and repent of their sins. But when someone is stubbornly and purposefully against God, he will have no choice but to allow punishment. And it breaks his heart. Don't let stubborn pride keep you away from a relationship with our loving God. God only disciplines His children of which He calls all mankind to be a part of the family. Many of us may be going through tough times, but don't be afraid. God is for us. Everything that He allows is for our good and for His glory. Should you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. He sees the dust, he knows my